ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide, lead us as we search out your scriptures. Help us to see what we need to be seeing. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Job chapter 20. We're going to be starting at verse 1. Job had just been telling them that you're vexing me, that you're all against me. I wish that my story could be written down on, in a book. Uh, and there was much talk about what was going on. So in verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. Then answered Zophar the Tamathite and said, Therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer you, for, and for this I make haste. I have heard the, the check of, your, of my reproach, and the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer. Know you not this, that of old, since man was placed upon earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment? Though his excellency mounts up to the heavens and his head reach to the clouds, yet he shall perish forever like his own dung. They which have seen him shall say, Where is he? He shall fly away as a dream and shall not be found. Yea, he shall be chased away as a vision in the night. The eye which saw him shall see him no more, neither shall his place be any more behold him. His children shall seek to please the poor, and his hand shall restore their goods. His bones are full of the sin of his youth, which shall lie down with him in the dust. Though wickedness be sweet in his mouth, though he hide it under his tongue, though he spare it and forsake it not, but keep it still in his mouth, yet his meat in his bowels is turned, it is the gall of asps within him. He has swallowed down riches, he, is, he shall vomit them up again. God shall cast them out of his belly. He shall suck the poison of asps, and the viper's tongue shall slay him. All right, we're going to stop there. Zophar answers Job, and he says, Therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer. And what he's saying here is his divided opinion. All right, He has listened to Job, and he's, he's kind of being honest here. Job, you might be somebody who's being honest, you know, and you may not have done something, but everything in me tells me that you've done something wrong or this would not have happened. All right, so we're getting some convincing of Job, at least to Zophar, that maybe he's telling the truth. But Zophar is going, but I know what my doctrine says. My doctrine says bad things happen to bad people and bad things do not happen to good people. Therefore, Job, you have to be bad but I'm, not, I'm kind of divided here in my thoughts because you sound very convincing and I know who you are and I know that you haven't seemed to be very bad and yet all these bad things are happening to you so there must be something bad that's happening to you because that's what my doctrine says. And this is why we need to be careful to make sure our doctrine is biblical and not something that is just being taught to us. And he goes, and my spirit... And the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer. He goes, I must give an answer to what you're saying, Job. I'm divided in my thoughts, but I have to speak. And this is really interesting. How many times do people have to say something even when they don't know what to say? I just have to be speaking. On the Mount of Transfiguration, one of my favorite sentences in there is and Peter because he did not know what to say said shall we make booths for you and Elijah and Moses all right and it says just that and Peter because he didn't know what to say 
just said, hey, well, let's build some booths for you so that you guys can be in shade. You know, he had to say something. And we need to be very careful because sometimes there's a place to be silent and not speak. Uh, it tells us to cry with those who cry, laugh with those who laugh. And we've said this right from the beginning. These friends that came to see Job, they spent the first week just weeping with him. They should have stayed that way. All right? Because when they started opening their mouth, <laughs> problems happened. All right? And so he says, Know you not this of old, since man was placed upon earth. All right? So he's saying this goes all the way back to the beginning. All right? Uh, know you not this, since man, and this literally is Adam, was placed on earth, because Adam means man or of the earth. So we could be even, he could have literally been saying, since Adam was placed on this earth. So the very beginning, he understands creation. All right, so he's been going from the very, very beginning. This has been a true statement. That the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is for a moment. And so the triumph, the shout of joy, we won, okay, uh, of the wicked is short. Now, from our perspective as human beings, the celebration of the wicked does not seem like it's a short time quite often. But he is revealing that God brings judgment. Now, Zophar pretty much speaks the truth here on this whole chapter, all right? He's still tending to judge Job a little bit, but he is speaking some true statements here. That the wicked do not stay triumphant the whole way. And as I've said, in my lifetime, I have watched people reap the rewards of their actions, usually in this lifetime. But even if it's not in this lifetime, it will be at the white throne judgment that they will no longer be triumphant and live long enough to be able to see that many times it may take decades for it to happen but people tend to reap what they sow even in this lifetime if we just be patient and see the fruit of their wickedness and the hard part is it's hard sometimes to watch somebody climbing the ladder of success Everything they're doing, even though it's all wrong, they keep getting successful and keep climbing. And, and we look at them and going, wow, how can they live like that and still get rewarded? And we watch them just up and up and up and up and up. And it's like, they're doing everything wrong. Why are they being blessed for doing everything wrong? That is hard. But if we watch them long enough, it may take decades, but all of a sudden their whole world falls around, around them. And this is true if you get to know these people and speak to them. Sometimes they'll tell you if you get to know them and be kind with them and, and get to really know them, they'll tell you how miserable they are. They're always worried. Somebody, I've stabbed everybody in the back on my way up. Who's going to stab me in the back and take my position? I've got all this success. Are people liking me because I'm successful or do they like me because they like me? I've got lots of money. I can buy what I want. Do these people like me just because they're hangers-on and, and enjoying what they can get from me? Or do they truly like... Depression starts setting into them. 
They think they've got everything they wanted and they struggled to get and they cheated and lied and, <laughs> and harmed people and then they get there and they have no satisfaction in it. And this is what we see if we look at things long enough and just say, all right, and try to see past what we see. And, you know, it's very true that some people seem to have everything. You know, and there was a song recently, you know, that talked about somebody having everything, but you get inside their house and the house is empty. Because they can't, they could afford the house, but they couldn't afford the furniture. They could afford the house, but they couldn't afford to heat it. And they're miserable. They look like they have everything on the outside, but nothing of value. And we need to understand that many times what we think we see is not the truth. And this is what Zophar is really bringing up on here, is that they won't stay, that the hypocrite is only uh, in joy for a moment uh, because he knows that he doesn't really deserve it. He knows that he's cut, cut people up on it. He goes, though his excellency mount up, into the, up to the heavens his, and his head reaches the clouds. Now this is a very interesting statement. And when I read this, I thought of one very important scripture in there that talks about Satan in Isaiah 40. That he said, I will exalt to the heavens. I will exalt to the north. I will be like the most high. And my Bible actually, after I thought about it, my Bible referenced it. You know, after I looked it up, I realized that my Bible referenced that verse that I found. I think that he is bringing up Satan in this, in this particular case. It's Satan exalts himself equal to God. And then Satan's goal for us as humans is to get us exalt ourselves equal to God. Uh, he doesn't want us to be equal to him, but he says, you know, go ahead and try. It didn't do me any good, but you go ahead and try. And I think that he's believing in this whole idea that, you know, he's really talking about Satan as the ultimate, but we try to man mimic him so often that we're going to exalt ourselves. And in this one, because he says he exalts himself to the, uh, his excellently mount up to the heavens and his high and his head reaches the, the clouds. This was Satan's goal when he said, I will exalt myself. I will be like the most high. And if you read Isaiah uh, 14, there's several I wills of Satan. He says, I will be like the most high. I will sit with him on the side of the north. And he, you know, and that was his downfall. When he decided he wanted to be like God, God said, okay, that cast him, cast him out of heaven. He now has access to the throne room of heaven, as we saw in the beginning of Job. And we've talked about that quite extensively in chapters 1 and 2. Satan has access to the throne room, but he does not have access to heaven. And this is, we went through all this, you know, when kings would hold court, you would be able to enter into the palace and enter the first room you entered into in that palace was the throne room, the judgment seat. And virtually anybody could come to the throne room, but you couldn't get back into the feasting rooms and the, and the bedrooms and, and all the stuff behind the throne room where the courtiers were allowed to go. All right. Uh, Satan has access to the throne room of heaven, but not to heaven itself. And so... Here he's been cast out. And it says that though, though these wicked have act, you know, raised themselves up, raised themselves up to heaven, yet 
shall he perish forever like his own dung, which they, they which have seen him shall say, where is he? And this is where I still think we're talking about Satan. Because there's going to come a time when Satan is judged. And I love it in the scripture that there's one particular verse that jumps out at me that says that when we see Satan in heaven and he stands at the white throne judgment, people will say, is this the one that made the earth tremble? When they actually see what he looks like. He was a mighty angel and he's fallen from his position. And I've always thought when I, when I read that statement, I think of the Wizard of Oz movie where they open up the curtain and he says, ignore that man behind the curtain. <laughs> Satan is a flim-flam man, making himself look stronger and more powerful than he is. And we buy into it all the time. Even when we know better, we buy into it. And the world buys into it hook, line, and sinker because he's good at what he does. He's only had about 6,000 years of practice. Satan jumps out at me, but it, it could just as easily be the people that he's talking about. Well, what you're saying makes complete sense. I just thought it was one of those dual things. And it very well could be because the, per the people are going to perish as well. And there will come a time, as, as we've talked about many times, when somebody dies, and after a few years, decades, century, people go, who is this you're talking about? Great-grandpa. You know, and I've used that as an example. How many of us know anything about our great-grandfather? Or if you do know something about your great-grandfather, let's go back one more generation, your great-great-grandfather. You know, you might know your great-grandfather if you're lucky. But your great-great-grandfather, you probably don't know anything about him. If you might know his name, he's, he's perished, he's gone. And people are going to go, where is he? And even those of us who know history sometimes, how much history do we know about any one individual? Even if you studied them completely, you can never say, I know everything there is to know about that individual. I know what's in the books, I know what his diary may say, but I still don't know much more about him than whatever is recorded. Mm -hmm. And so this is definitely what he's saying. You know, and this is where I vacillate, I mean, because I can see that this is very much real people, but I also got the picture of Satan being elevated and then coming to the end. Yeah. And he at the end will have the same problem. Yeah, mount up to the heavens. And, yeah, the heavens. and people think I'm mounting up to the I've got it, I made it. Yeah. And then find out they don't have it. Um, and he shall perish forever like his own dung. Now, that's pretty strong. <laughs> you know, you're going to be so worthless that they're going to take and just wait, you know, scoop you away and get rid of you. <laughs> All right? Um, and then they shall say that those that have seen him said, where is he? I don't, don't, re don't remember him. And how long does it take us to really forget somebody or something? You know, sometimes when you lose your parents, if, you know, after a few years, you stop... You start going, all right, I know some things about them, but I'm forgetting what they look like. I'm forgetting how they acted. I'm forgetting what they did. Uh, and it's not that hard to do. And I've heard that happen with people with their, their spouses. Their spouse dies, and after a few years, they start forgetting. Even people that had long marriages start forgetting the details of that individual. It's an amazing fact of how easy we forget. And this is what he's saying. These Wicked think they're going to build their kingdom, they're going to be well-known, and they're very quickly forgotten. And uh, he shall fly away as a dream and shall not be found. Yea, he shall, 
be chased away as a vision in the night. You know, basically, they're like a dream. When you wake up, how often have you had a dream that may have woke you up, and then as soon as you wake up, you don't remember what the dream was about. Now, sometimes the dream, dream around with you, but oftentimes when you wake up, the dream is just gone. It's like, wow, I think I had a good dream, or I think I had a bad dream, but it is gone. And this is what he's saying. It's like that dream that just when you wake up, disappears. It's gone. No, you don't remember it. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had that fine dream about the future and remember that when he he knew he was terrified but he could not remember the dream mm -hmm. and he called all the wise men and said now I need you guys to tell me what this dream was because I know that it was an important dream but I don't remember the dream and they're going nobody ever asks us to tell you tell dreams you've got to tell us we'll interpret it for you and uh, this is what he's saying these evil people and it and I wouldn't, I'm going to go even further. It's not just evil people that all this happens to. The, the good get forgotten. Now, they may get remembered a little longer because people want to remember good. Now, extreme evil we tend to remember to a degree, but even that fades after a while. Uh, you know, we as Christians, we go, how about Jezebel? Now, how many people remember hardly anything? Unless they're a Bible scholar, how many people really remember anything about Jezebel? Now, we remember the good people a little bit. We kind of keep them a little longer. They're, they're remembered. They're repeated. We want to remember the good. <coughs> Jezebel was the wife of Ahab, who was the wickedest queen in, in the record of the Bible. Killed prophets, had 400, the 750 prophets of, Zael, of Baal, Baal, and Elisha defeated her prophets and then ran from her because he was so afraid of her. Yeah, that's we don't always remember the evil very much because we don't want to. But we do tend to remember we want to remember. But even the good get forgotten after a while. And this is something that's important for us to, to look at. Verse 9 says, The eye which saw him shall see him no more, neither shall his place be any more behold, his place any more behold him. People are just not going to see him. Once they're dead, they're gone. And this is what he's saying about the evil. They're going to disappear. Job, you're telling me you're good. You're telling me that you're not bad and all these things. But Job, I just don't know for sure. I'm kind of mixed up because everything I know about doctrine says that you are got to be bad because bad, you, know, you're, you lost everything. And this is what their problem is right now. They're going, Job, you were a good man. We thought you were a good man. You had everything on your side. You had great wealth, great, great profits. You offered sacrifices. You taught us our doctrines. You taught us, and now you've lost everything. Now, we know that bad things can happen to you even if you're fairly good, you know, and things. But you lost everything, so therefore you must be a horrible person, and we just didn't know it. All right, this is their doctrine. This is how they're thinking. Prosperity, gospel. Bad things, that bad a thing happens to you, you must be an awful person. They don't know what to do with this. Because they're looking at Job and saying, man, Job, we never thought you were this awful. You, how, how well did you hide your sins from everybody? You know, because you were prospering. Everything was going good. You were honoring your, your wife. Your kids were being honored. You, you said all the right things when we were in. And now all of a sudden your whole life is turned upside down. 
And we know that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, and you had the worst things that could have ever happened, so you must be an awful person that we don't know why. And they're struggling with it, but they're willing to judge him, and that's the sad thing. They're willing to judge him as wrong just because their doctrine said he must be. And we need to be very careful about the idea of judging other people anyway. And because it's easy to judge people. It's easy to look at people and say, well, I wonder why they haven't come. They must be really bad. They're, they're not coming to church. They're not, they're not uh, coming around anymore. Something must be, you know. And we do have this attitude, and I understand it. It's easy to fall into. It's easy to fall into this whole thing. Um, his children shall seek to please the poor, and his hands shall restore their goods. So his children shall seek to please or seek favor of the poor. All right? So, or the, and the poor here is godless, not, not poor. So he says his children, the one who's being judged, will seek the favor of the godless. Now this is kind of a scary thing because it is true that when somebody is leading an evil life, they generally pass that evil life to their children and then their children are seeking favor from other people that are in the same ballpark. And we see it so often when you start working with the, the people that are struggling, who are got their act together. Number one, they don't think they will be accepted. And the only ones they know are the people like themselves. The statement, birds of a feather flock together. Christians tend to flock together as Christians and we build each other up and edify each other and we kind of forget that the ones down, you know, that aren't doing well need help. And yet we're afraid to help them because we don't want to be drugged down in the mud with them. And those that are down in the mud are looking at everybody else saying, well, nobody knows what I'm going through, so I'm going to go to the other people wallowing around in the pigsty in the mud with me and ask one of them to help me even though they can't help themselves. Because I'm not going to go talk to somebody who has their act together because they're won't help them. And this is why we have this big problem out there. We are to reach out and help. We are to lift them up, but not get so involved with their life that we get pulled down into the mire with them. So it is a very interesting place to be. Because when we start trying to deal with the sinners, terrible sinners, I don't know how to, the, the ones that are in the mire, it's easy to be pulled into the mire with them. It's much easier to be pulled down than to pull somebody up. And so we, as Christians, tend to just back off and say, well, I'm not going to get anywhere near the mire because I don't want to end up in the mire. And those that are in the mire going, well, they are, are standoffish and they don't want to have anything to do with us, so we're not going to go see them. And it's a hard place to be at. And yet we need to be able to help and do what we can to build them up and lift them up. And it says, they shall, um, and his hand shall restore their goods or their essence. So he's, they're, they're trying to build up their vigor, their strength. His hand shall restore their strength. 
And this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help those in need without getting drawn into their need. And this is where it gets very difficult to do sometimes. Uh, I've been in charge of benevolence groups in the past, and you've got group people that are just out there trying to go from group to group to group to group to group and, and get what they can from every good-natured person that's out there and church or agency but don't want to see themselves get better. All they want to do is take, and they don't want to improve their situation. And when you get to that situation, then it's like, am I helping this person or enabling them? And it's a hard place to be because you don't want to enable them to stay where they're at. Uh, we're going to give you a quick shower, and then you're going right back into the mud pit. You know, we're going to feed you, and then you're going to jump right back in the mud pit. You know, we're going to lift you up, we're going to clean you up, give you food, we're going to help you out, and then you're jumping right back in the mud pit. We don't want that to happen, and yet that's what happens so frequently. And then we get jaded. We've been helping you, helping you, helping you, and you keep jumping back into the mud pit because you're not wanting the help at that time or whatever. Is that is our judgment. And part of it is not that they want to be in the mud pit. They just don't know any other life. I hear this at the prison so often that these people will say, I just don't know how to live. I've talked to counseling different people even up here that say, I just don't know any better. I want to change, but I don't know how to change. And all the people that I know are living this lifestyle and drawing me right back into the lifestyle that I'm trying to get out of. But yet they don't feel comfortable with those that aren't, aren't in that lifestyle because they know that they don't belong in that lifestyle yet. And yet they need to be there without being judged. So our job as Christians is not to judge others and help lift them out of the mire and keep them out of it, but even when they fail. It's very interesting that there is a self-fulfilling prophecy of you know, when people will quit alcohol. And their family looks at them, well, this is the fifth time you've done it. How long is it going to take you to get back? How long till you fall off the wagon? Everybody believes you're going to fall off the wagon. How long is it going to be till you fall off the wagon? And the excuse will be, well, they all thought I was going to do it anyway, so I might as well just do it. How long will it be till you go back into the drugs, go back into the, the world of sex, whatever your, whatever your issue is, because everybody is looking at you that you've gone in this cycle of falling, 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 and people don't realize that now is the time, especially if God's involved, to step out and not complete the cycle anymore. But yet the world will look at you and say, nope, can't change. Very amazing that the world will spend millions of dollars, hundreds of dollars, millions of dollars, billions of dollars to change people but believe that they can't change. The prison is based on this. We're going to rehabilitate you so you don't come back, but we know you're coming back because people don't change. Then I'll never tell them that, but behind the closed doors, that's all what's going on. They don't change. They never change. They're bad. They will continue to be bad. They're going to get out. They'll be back. And there's certain ones you know are going to come back. Just the attitudes they have. You know that they're coming back. But, and it is hard to change. Without God stepping into our life, we're not changing. Because our heart is wicked and deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? 
So unless God steps into our life and changes our heart, we won't change. And when he steps into our heart, then it's up to us as Christians to recognize that God is in somebody. There's hope for them. If he falls down seven times, we'll pick him back up and say, God still loves you. And God still loves you. Now, we as humans get a little tired of it. But the scriptures tell us to keep lifting them up, keep lifting them up, keep lifting them up. And we need to really keep that in mind. That's our job is to keep lifting people up and encouraging them. Even if they're lost, we try to do what we can. And, but our goal for them is to get God into their life so that he, they get the power inside to be changed. Zophar doesn't understand that at this point. He goes, his bones are full of the sins of his youth, which shall lie down with him in the dust. His bones, his very essence, is full of sins. And when he dies, his sins will remain with him. He's understanding that there is a judgment to follow. All right? There, you're going to pay for it, and if you're not paying for it in this life, you will pay for it in the next life, you know, in the eternity, because your sins follow you. Your sins cling to you. Now, how far he understands this, we don't know. We know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And when we stand at the white throne judgment, we will be judged for not being perfect. And we understand that. And that judgment will be the lake of fire for eternity. He's saying the same thing. Your sins go to the grave with you. All right. Now he's still kind of pointing out at Job. You know, Job, you've got some problems. We don't know what your sins are, but your sins are going to go with you all the way into eternity. Though wickedness be sweet in his mouth, though he hide it under his tongue, though he spare it and forsake not, but keep it still within his mouth. And this is the idea that sin has pleasure. And I hate it when I hear Christians say, well, in the short run, even for Christians. Otherwise, we would never do sin. All right? If sin burned us the moment we tried to touch it, we would pull back and say, uh-uh, no way. Uh, you know, for those of us that have gluttony as a problem, if the, if the fat showed up the minute we ate that uh, fifth donut or sixth donut and it popped into our belly, we'd go, whoops, we're not doing this anymore. But what does it do? It takes time to show up. It takes time to metabolize and end up as fat. Uh, you know, we go out and we commit sin and it seems like we got away with it. It seems like everything has been good. Uh, we've had some pleasure out of it, but then it bites like the viper that he's going to talk about. And he says, it says he hide it's sweet in his mouth, he hides it under his tongue. You, you know, oh, you'll see it's swallowed, it's gone, and it's hiding under the tongue. You know, I spit it out, but it's hiding under the tongue. All right? Uh, and though he spare it or has pity on it and will not forsake it or get rid of it, but keeps it still within his mouth, he says he sits there and just enjoys the sin. And sin does have Time. This is how people get caught up in an addictive sin. The first time you take a drink is not when you're going to become an alcoholic. It just, it does loosen people up. And they feel like they've gotten a little bit of joy and peace or whatever it is they're looking for. 
but they don't realize that every time they seek it, they need a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and then they're addicted. And they can't help it and now they've got to have it or else they feel miserable. And that's when everything just falls apart. That joy is gone and now you're addicted. And this can be any sin, whatever that sin, lying, pornography, drugs, alcohol, uh, any, you know, gluttony, anything, eventually it gets hold of you in a very strong way. And it says, yet his meat in his bowels is turned as it, it is the gall of asps within him. He has swallowed down riches and he shall vomit them up again. God shall cast them out of his belly. His meat, his food in his bell, his bowel, his, his sin in this particular case, the meat, the meat that he's been consuming in, in context shall be turned as gall of asps within him. Once you get to that place where sin is no longer pleasurable and you're addicted, it is like a poison. It is like bitterness. It holds you and it has you so tight and you're going, I want to get rid of it. I've met so many people that want to get rid of their sin. They want to get rid of what has them captured and this is what sin does to us it eventually captures us and turns us into a captive or a pow in the in the spiritual warfare and satan says i've got them i've got them in the in the concentration camp over here and they are in in pow garments and they're behind the gates and they are stuck and they are trapped and he says it's bitter and you're trapped in it and it feels like poison. It feels like you're going to get sick all the time from it. He says, they swallowed down riches and he shall vomit them up again. And this is really the idea that he took in all the sweets that he wanted and then got sick. If anybody has ever overeaten sweets, this is what he's talking about. Man, it tasted so good. I just kept going. I kept going. I kept going. I kept going. And then it's like, ugh. And you may not literally vomit, but sometimes you do. And go, I just got to get rid of this stuff. And then you still don't feel good. The sugar has gotten in, but this is, you know, sin. All right? Sin has gotten in. It's poisoned you. Even though you get rid of it out of your, out of your system, it still has a hold on you. And without a changed life, it's not. And it says, God shall cast them out of his belly. So God gets rid of the, the joy. Why is he getting rid of the joy? Because he is trying to bring in conviction. Change your life. Satan comes along and turns that conviction into condemnation and says, you're, you're, terrible, you're a terrible, worthless thing. Nobody will ever love you again. God is getting rid of it to try to bring conviction into your life. Turn away from it and turn to me. And this is what so far is saying, you know, it's, Job, it's time to turn. Get rid of whatever that sin is that's got you, you know, that you thought was so wonderful for a period of time because he's still convinced that Job has some secret sin. Has no idea what this secret sin is. Has no idea how Job could have it because Job has looked so good for so long. And this is why he has that divided mind back there. He goes, something. I don't know what it is, Job, but you have something that you're hiding from everybody. You're behind your, behind your doors, you know, in your, in your bedroom, whatever. You have something 
that you've been hiding from everybody. We don't know what it is. You have, you've put on a really good face, and this is why he talked about being a hypocrite. You put on a really good face in front of all of us, but there must be something. Turn around and give it up. That's what he's telling them. And he's keeping it general. And, and by keeping it general, he's speaking the truth. When somebody is in sin, they need to become to repentance because it will turn into bitterness. It will destroy them. And we've seen this over and over in our own lives and other people's lives. We watch how sin will captivate somebody and harm them. And this is what he's say, saying to them. Verse 17. No, verse 16. He shall suck the poison of ass. The t- viper's tongue shall slay him. He shall not see the rivers of floods, the brooks of honey and butter. And that which he labors for shall he, be, shall he restore and shall not swallow it down according to his substance shall the restitution be. And he shall not rejoice therein because he has oppressed and has forsaken the poor because he has violently taken away an house which he build not. Surely he shall not feel quietness in his belly. He shall not save that which, which he desires. There shall none of his meat be left. Therefore shall no man look for his goods. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he shall be in straits. Every hand of the wicked shall come upon him. All right. So he says, he shall suck or literally nurse the poison of asps. In his sin, he will be so addicted to it that he will keep bringing it into his life. And this is where people have said, I just can't help myself. I just keep wallowing back into this sin. Every time I get away from it, I get called back. Without God, this is the state of man. Because of our wickedness, because there was pleasure in it and we got addicted, and every sin has an addictive quality. And I've talked to many people, you know, some of it isn't physical addiction like drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. Some of it is psychological addiction. I just have to have it. This is where pornography and those type of things come in. You just have to have it because you are psychologically addicted to it. And lying, whatever it might be, that there's a psychological addiction to it that causes a desire for it just as bad as the physical desires. And he says they suck on it like the poison of ass. They just keep bringing it in and they feel like they have to and it says, the viper's tongue shall slay him. That sin will slay them because they're so addicted. And, and this is one of the things the scriptures tell us. Be sure that your sins will find you out. You cannot keep a sin private forever. It eventually will come out. And when it does, people get embarrassed, especially Christians. You know, because I'm not supposed to have a problem in that area. And now all of a sudden, everybody knows that I have a problem in that area. And that's exactly where God wants us. And people go, well, my, my whole testimony is going to be ruined. Well, God's not worried about your testimony. He's worried about his honor, his position. And so sin will come out. Sin will overcome us. The viper will, will slay us. That, and the viper in this particular case is that sin. Uh, he says, he shall not see rivers, the floods, and the brooks of honey. Now, this is kind of an interesting way that they put it, the way they translate it. 
He shall not see rivers or streams or torrents of honey and butter in, in the way it's supposed to be written. And I don't really understand what torrents of honey and butter would be. Uh, now, when we look at this, he says, he shall not see the rivers, he shall not see the streams. And the torrents of honey and butter literally mean the good things, as far as I can understand. He's not going to see the torrents of good things he's expecting from, while he's living in sin. Either from the sin, or that he would like to have without the sin. Either way, he's not going to see the blessings come to him. And again, he's looking at, looking at Job at this way, and he's speaking some truth. I mean, this is literally the way sinners are. And he's going, Job, you know, without saying Job, he's going, you know, you're not going to see all the good things pouring into you because whatever sin it is that you're committing is blocking these torrents of good. And he's not using Job's name. Job understands that he's aiming it at him. All right, but he is speaking truth. He is speaking truth that when you're living in sin, you're not going to see blessing. You're going to be feeling like you're dead. You're going to feel sick. You're going to feel conviction. You're going to feel condemnation. All these things that happen when you're dealing with sin. And so there's a lot of good here. A lot of good truth in this. There, you're not going to be happy when you're sinning. It'll short-lived, short-lived and you will not be greatly blessed. And he goes... That which he labored for shall be restored and shall not swallow it down. According to a substance shall the restitution be and he shall not rejoice therein. He goes, everything he took in his sin will be returned. And this has been, not just this verse, but this has been what I look at when I've watched people rise to the top of a business or a business, because that's been where I've seen it the most in the business world backstabbing, taking credit for other people's jobs and everything and their work, eventually it gets restored. Eventually it catches up with them. And I've seen it over and over again where these people get to where they think they want to be. And once you backstab everybody on your way up, you have nobody you can trust below you because you just stabbed everybody in the back and now you've attained a position that you don't deserve and you have nobody to help you stay there, and eventually you fall. Eventually people realize that you don't belong there. Eventually they realize that you took everything on your way up, and they eventually fall. I've seen it over and over again. And this is so important. It goes, they sh restitution will be made, and they will not rejoice where they're at. And this is the thing about it is, you know, you look at people and they go, we think they have everything. Gang member gets to the top of the gang and they're always looking around on who, you know, who in my gang is going to backstab me to take my position, or challenge me, and where are, the, where are the police going to get me? You know, who's going to turn me in and who, how am I going to get caught? And they're, they're totally paranoid. The person that comes to the top of a business without, you know, top of a department without earning that position and take, takes credit for it, He's always looking around and going, when are they going to find out I don't know anything? When are they going to find out that I'm not here? The famous person with all the fame, everybody knows them, they go, but nobody knows me. They know all about who they think I am, but they don't know me. And they are very lonely. This is what that verse is talking about. There's no joy 
in getting where you thought you wanted to get to if you don't do it right. Now, it may take us longer to do it godly and, and honest and work our way up, but you know, when we get there, we know that we deserve it. We've built up everybody underneath us, and nobody's out to get us. They may still be out to get us, but <laughs> you understand, you know, there, there's no, I'm not worried about everybody out to get me because I didn't stab everybody to get there. This is what it's talking about. There's no joy to those who climb up the wrong way in whatever aspect they're looking at. He goes, because they oppressed, they have oppressed and have forsaken the poor because he has violently taken away the house which he built not. The evil, the evil, oppressing everybody, crushing them into pieces and ignoring the poor and he's violently taken away things. He's taken away everything that doesn't belong to him. Whether it's taking credit for the job that other people have done, and I've seen that more often than not, you know, uh, I'm going to take all the credit. Now, now, I'm exactly the opposite way. I give everybody underneath me the credit, you know, even if it was me who directed it. A lot of times I, I love to have people do what I want them to do and think it's their idea and they get the credit for it and that's fine. It doesn't bother me. I don't, it, but when you're in the evil side of thing, you're taking, you're taking, you're taking, and you're abusing it. And then I love this one. Surely he shall not feel quietness in his belly. He shall not save that which he desired. Quietness in his belly. His belly churns. You know, when you're guilty, when you're feeling guilty, you're stomach churns and turns and you're going I just don't feel I never feel quite this is, I love the way the, this poetry came in the quietness of the belly doesn't feel it his stomach is aching because of his guilt he's you know uh, he's nervous all the time probably getting an ulcer <laughs> because he's so nervous and concerned about what's going coming his way uh, and so it says, his belly shall not have quietness and he shall not save that which he desired. The very things he desired will slip through his fingers. And this is true. If you've ever been there where you got something maybe that you weren't supposed to get and you managed to get it, it seems to just, you know, like holding water in your hand. I can hold it for a little while, but it's still dripping out. You know, it's still dripping out. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. It will go away. Everything that he thought they wanted will disappear. Therefore shall none of his meat or food be left. Therefore shall no man look for, for his goods. Nobody's going to look for what he has because he doesn't have it. It's all slipped away. It all got away so that nobody even wants what you have because you don't have anything. <laughs> now, uh, and what you had is all stolen and not yours anyway so nobody wants it because it's not worth having. And this is something that is very important. Um, you, you think they want it until they realize that it's not worth having. And all of this stuff in there. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he shall be in straits. Every hand of the wicked shall come upon him. In the fullness, the completeness of his sufficiency, he's satiated. He has everything he wants. The fullness of everything he wants. He shall be in straits. Straits are narrow, confined pressures. So he's got everything that he thought he wanted, 
and he's totally nervous and, and concerned about it. Why? Because it tells he stole it, he, he took it from other people, it's not his, he's gotten it deceitfully, and all he feels is the pressure. Some, somebody's going to come and take this, the, the police are going to come and take this, somebody's going to find out what I've done and take it from me. Over and over again, they, they're just, no, their stomach is churning, they're, and everything they have, they thought they have, or thought they wanted is not good. And even if they haven't violently taken it, they still don't really understand, you know, who, who wants what I have. You know, who, you know, I'm famous now. You know, I did three great songs, and now I'm the, the star singer until next year when somebody else makes three straight songs and, and takes my place. I made five movies, and I'm, I'm the greatest thing since sli- actor or actress since sliced bread until the next season when somebody else makes a movie that gets all the honor and you're, no, and you're yesterday's news. People come for your glory. And this is why it's so important. Where is our glory? Where is our hope? When it is in God, nobody's taking God away from me. Nobody's going to take the things that I put into heaven away from me. And this is very important for us. If my hope is in what I can hold in my hand, somebody's going to come and take it. If my hope is in my fame, somebody's going to get more famous than I am. There's always somebody that's more stronger than we are, more knowledgeable than we are, more, more famous than we are, or will be at some point. And if putting our hope in all of those types of things, it's vain. It won't last for long. When our hope is in God, God is eternal. And he's got more than enough to give to everybody. So if he has fame for us in his, in his desire for heaven, we'll have all the fame that he wants to give because he can just make more fame and, and give everybody all the fame and we can all be equal in fame under God. But when it's not for God, it is vain. And this is what Zophar is saying. It's all a waste of time. Everything that you're seeking is a waste of time if it's not in God. Verse 20, uh, 23. When he is about to fill his belly, God shall cast the fury of his wrath upon him and shall rain it upon him while he is eating. He shall flee from the iron and the bow of steel shall strike him through. It is drawn and comes out of his body Yea, the glittering sword comes out with his gall. Terrors are upon him. All darkness shall be hid in him in his secret places. A fire not blown shall consume him. It shall go ill with him that is left in his tabernacle. That is left in his tabernacle. The heaven shall reveal his iniquity. The earth shall rise up against him. The increase of his health shall depart. And his goods shall flow away in the day of his wrath. This is the portion of the wicked man from God. God. All right. So he goes, when he is about to fill his belly, all right, so when he has completely filled his innermost emotion position, God shall cast fury, the fury of his wrath on him. What is he saying? At some point, God moves. And this is important for us to understand. And I've said it very often, and I, it's not original from me because I've heard it from others. 
know, we cannot judge what's happening until the books are closed. I'm a businessman. When you, I, when you go out and you spend money to buy stock to build your, to, to build your product, if you closed your books at that point in time, you look like an utter failure. I just spent a hundred thousand, a million dollars, whatever it take to build this building and, and buy my stock, and man, I am totally in debt. I have no money coming in. The farmer does not decide whether he's made money after he's plowed his field. He does not decide whether he's made money after he's planted the seed. It's not until months later when he harvests the 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 field and sells it, then now we can say, okay, what did I make? The businessman spends money, sells what he spent the money for, and then looks at his books and says, okay, I broke even or I made money or I lost. We need to make sure that we do. When God in our lifetime has not closed the books on our life, we look at it and say, well, God, I've invested, I've invested, I poured out my life, I poured out my life, and nothing good has ever happened. And God says, well, I haven't closed the books out yet. We haven't harvested your expenditures. We haven't brought in the sales from your, your investments. Let's see what happens when your life is closed out and see where we're at. And this is what's important on this. He says, God's wrath will come. The fury of God's wrath will come on them. And he shall rain it on them while while he is eating. And I love this part because this is what I've said. I have watched in my lifetime more people get judged for their sin in this lifetime. I'm not going to say that every single person in this lifetime is going to get, get their judgment. But you know what? I think it's more often than not when we really look carefully at what God's doing and how God brings judgment. Sometimes that judgment may be that they get what they thought they wanted and find out that it wasn't as pleasing as they thought it was going to be. And we look at him going, God, that's a strange judgment you gave them. They got everything they wanted. And God says, yeah, but you don't know what's in their mind. They don't want what they got. And now they're worried about how they're going to keep what they got because now they've got to struggle to keep what they got because they didn't want it. It didn't give them what they thought they were going to get. Been there, done that myself. I've gotten things and I'm going, why did I ever want this? It didn't, didn't get me. You know, and say, okay, done with it. Go do something else. But if your whole life is drawn onto that whole area, then it's hard to let go. It's hard to let go if there's no place else for you to turn. We as Christians turn to God and say, okay, God, I'm just going to turn to you and let this go. The world can't do that. They have nothing else to turn to. They are stuck holding on to something that's flowing through their fingers and dissipating and going, I have nothing. What am I going to do now? All my life was geared toward whatever it was I was going toward. Now I have nothing because God's fury poured on them. He rained on them while they were eating. He says, he shall flee from the iron weapon, the swords, and the bow of steel shall strike him through. So he says, they run from the sword only to be shot at. All right? Uh, and we know people that do that. You know, 
I'm running away from whatever it is that God's bringing my way, and he still shoots at me with his, with his arrows and his, and, his, and his spears. Or with guns, if you want to say that. You know, he goes, you run away, and you still get, you still get the pain of when you're running. And if you've ever run from God, you know exactly what this is like. God, I'm running away from the, the word, the sword of the spirit, which cuts away my sin from, from my life. And I'm running, and God still shoots, the, shoots at you and hits you anyway. So this is what he's saying here. It is drawn and comes out of his belly. Yea, the glittering sword comes out of his gall. Terrors are upon him. So he says, God's going, to get, God's going to get it, and the sword is coming to get you anyway. And it's going to slice you open and pour out your in- insides. <laughs> and sometimes that's exactly how we feel, is that our insides have totally been spilled when God comes out. Because he really is trying to get rid of all of that sin and that poison out of our life. Now, the evil ones don't recognize that as God. You know, we would recognize that. All darkness shall be hid in his secret places. A fire not blown shall consume him, and shall, it shall go ill with him that is left in his tabernacle. So darkness will be in his hidden places, his secret places, the places where he, he has put his treasure. This is why, as Jesus said, we are to place our treasures in heaven. There, where moth and rust do not consume, where darkness doesn't take them. We put our hope and, and treasures in heaven. And when we put them in heaven, we actually get to take them with us. Because they're already there, actually. We get to go to them. But anything we leave in this world will not be taken. You know, as I said, there's no hearses, uh, there's no uh, trailers following the hearse. Now, once you're dead... Your stuff goes to somebody else. Even if you're the richest man in the world, when you die, your family will fight over your riches. And that's the sad thing is, most of them will fight over their riches. And he's saying, the darkness shall be in the secret places. A fire not blown shall consume him. All right? This is the idea of when you are heating metals and you get the bellows and get the fires really, really hot so that it melts the metal and you just keep using the bellows and, and getting it hotter and hotter. He's saying the fire that comes your way will consume you and it's not even blown to be in the full, full stent, full amount. What's he talking about? God's fire is hot. God doesn't need to have bellows getting it even hotter. He goes, his fire will consume And for us as Christians, we will stand at the Bema Seat of Christ and our works will be thrown into the to the fire and God will burn up all of our works and only the things he's done in our life will be pulled out and said here's your rewards for heaven those who are standing at the white throne judgment they get to burn forever and not burn up and their conscience will burn burn in them and everything about them it's total isolation and this is one of the things about this that people go you know, you talk to people, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go to hell and have parties with my buddies. No, when you get to hell, you're going to be by yourself in isolation for eternity. You will wish that you had somebody to talk to. But there is no parties in heaven. There are no enjoying enjoyment. There will be no commiserating hell. Uh, there will not be any commiserating with your buddies, you know, 
uh, for being there. Uh, because this is the ultimate punishment. You will be alone. You will be without others to give you comfort. And it's a terrible place. In the prison system, the worst thing you can do to somebody is put them into solitary confinement because they'll go crazy. And humans will go crazy with being in solitary confinement. And your spirit will be in solitary confinement for eternity in, in the lake of fire. That's an awful punishment. And there will be no love, no compassion, no mercy, no kindness, just pain for eternity because that's what they chose. And this is what he's saying. You'll be burnt up without a, without a fire being blown on it. It shall go ill with him that is left in his tabernacle. Everything in your home will be going bad. And so all of this is coming. The heaven shall reveal his iniquity and the earth shall rise up against him. Here it is. Your sin will find you out. The heaven shall uncover your iniquity and the earth shall rise it up. So heaven will uncover it. And the earth will push it up so that it gets totally visible. And this is very important for us to understand. Everybody tends to think that their sin will stay hidden. If I just stay quiet enough, if I just stay under the radar, if I don't push it too far, uh, you know, if I just look spiritual enough, nobody will know my, my sins that I'm, that I'm wrapped up in. Heavens will reveal your sin eventually. It will be revealed. It will be exposed. The increase of your house shall depart and his goods shall flow away in the day of his wrath. Because everything that you got will eventually disappear. Even, and it usually happens in this lifetime for those that are wicked, but you know, even if it isn't, then your, your children fight over what you got. Yeah. Uh, this is the portion of the wicked man from God. So Job is being, uh, so far is telling him, Job, this, when people are wicked, this, everything I've told you is the portion of the wicked. And it is true. Everything he said is a true statement for the wicked will eventually have all of these things happen to them. And it does come from God. And this is the heritage appointed unto him by God. God says, he's saying, no matter what you think, eventually this is what happens to you when you're following evil. And these are true statements. All right? These are very true statements that he's making. This is good theology. He's applying it incorrectly toward Job. But it is true that the wicked have all of this stuff that, that, that we've been talking about. The actual heritage of the wicked is to lose everything. And to have no quietness in their belly. To have no, no honor. To lose everything. And that is the gospel. It is the way things really truly are. Now Zophar is applying it toward Job. Which and even though he didn't say it. It's, you know, he's still, Job's going to get the point that he's kind of looking at him. <laughs> as he's saying it. But we just want to keep in mind. Judgment. Bring judgment on everybody. And the more I realize that, life becomes for me. 
Because I don't have to worry about making somebody pay, exposing somebody. I don't have to worry about judging them. I don't have to worry about anything other than loving them and being kind to them. And eventually, they deserve. May not be the way I want it to be. As I said, sometimes God judges them by giving them what they think they want. I look at them and say, God, uh, they got all the money. They got that nice house. You know, what is going on here? And God's saying, just wait. Be with any of it. They, you think they got what they want. They think they got what they want. They're not happy. And how do we know this? We even know this because what ends up happening? How many wealthy and famous people end up in drug rehab or alcohol rehab because they're not happy? They got everything that they want. God gave them everything that they thought they wanted to show them that that is not what their happiness comes from. And we look at it thinking, God, you're really strange. Why are they getting They get everything. Aren't you happy with what God gives you? Yeah, I'm, kind of, I'm satisfied with what you've given me. They're not happy with everything that they have. And we need to really understand that sometimes the judgment of God is revealed in some very interesting ways that we don't understand. Lord, we ask you to bless us as we go about your business. Lord, help us to not judge what we, we see. Help us to just learn to honor you and to follow you in all that we do and to seek after you in all that we do. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.